So Sam means, uh, as we discussed before you hit record, Sam mm-hmm. means is the owner of Hello Merch, which has a uh, warehouse um, and on West Lincoln and is a legitimately good dude. Um, he's the one half of the format. The other half of the format, Nate uh, Roos, mm-hmm. uh, went on to create fun, period, or right. fun, um, with um, Antonov. Right. Jack Antonov. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Antonov yes. is the one who dated, uh, one who dated Leon Dunham at the time. Oh, Antonov is? Antonov okay. dated Dunham. And I... And this is how much I care about Lena Dunham or and Antonov for that matter. Mm-hmm. Is that Antonov? Uh, um, I didn't know Ant- Antonov and her had broken up like a while ago, and apparently Antonov has dated has apparently may have dated Lord uh, for oh, a while. That's a huge age difference. Well, I don't know what the age difference was at the time, but he has a. Depending on what area of pitchfork you're in, mm-hmm. and it's not like a um, like a you know me too sort of thing here, but he okay. comes. Um, my, I think he does have some romantic entanglements with the people he produces. Okay, but Lord being one of them, but I don't know when they did or if they did. I think that's a rumor, um, but I think he's actually married now. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he got married over the weekend. But Roos, oh, when yeah. Roos now is married to a model, has kids, occasionally writes songs for Pink mm-hmm. uh, and other bands, and I think has released a soul album. Um, he's still apparently quite a big deal in some corners of the world. Okay, um, I he's legit talented, I mean, they both are. I like Means a lot. His um, Means just came out with an EP, like. A year or two ago, like with the pandemic and everything, mm. and that EP is legit good. Okay, um, but yeah, that's the history of Phoenix's gift to <laughs> to emo. Gotcha. Um, though, though, if I'm pretty sure if one either of them were listening, and I and they and they heard me saying emo, I would get some angry emails from gotcha. from. I don't think Sam has my email, and well, he has my Phoenix times email. Nate doesn't even know who the fuck I am. <laughs> but he's got money, so he can find the fuck out. That's, yeah. The real disappointing I'm sure thing... sure if it gets back to him. Yes. The real disappointing thing is that I don't think they're going to do the reunion concert now. Because they keep... Uh, they were doing those reunion concerts, like, back in 2020, and then they all got delayed a year. Oh, so you think it's just full stop off? I think No, I'm pre- I'm 98% sure it's full stop off. Yeah. Which would have been cool um, because, you know, like, that's like, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I predicted it, mm-hmm. but I predicted they were going to get back together back when I was with New Times. Like, the fact that what they were, the way they were doing it is like, going, oh, yeah, they're getting back together. And then they gotcha. got back together, and then, like, the day afterwards, they're like, they're going to they're gonna tour. And they toured. And, and then Pandemic. And pandemic, and they delayed a year, and then of course, I mean, I could keep going. Over and then them. another year, and yeah. Then, and <clears> so <throat> I think they just legit canceled them. So, gotcha. But Sam, uh, Sam does a lot of really cool stuff with Hello Merch. Uh, it's worth a. Uh, um, I mean, he. Do you know what Hello Merch is? No idea. 
So pretty much. Do we want to introduce the show? First? No, I need to finish this. Okay, all right, finish roll. it up. I'm okay. on a roll, Finish it up then. Yeah. So hello, merch does makes. It's kind of what. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I'm just gonna whisper it as you as you. No, keep going. no, no, no. Go on your roll. No, no, Go on your roll. No. Go. Dude, you interrupted the roll, man. Dude, get get back on it. You're there. Okay. You so hello, this. merch makes is exactly what it does. It makes merch for indie artists. So if you want to get um, like a t-shirt from Angel Olsen, mm-hmm. you'd go through their website. Okay. Or they make it for them for a one-day tour. Gotcha. Um, I think they do it for everyone for um, like anywhere from like Tori Amos uh, to I think Angel Olsen actually mm. um, to a few other people. It's, it's really caught on in a big way. Um, cool. So... Nice. I, I'm, I'm really a big fan of what they do, so I, I don't know why, but I just am. All right, well, local local boys make good. Yeah, local boy make good. Yeah, okay. Um, and they also have two podcasts. One of them is called Wasteoids, which is who our friend JPW mm-hmm. uh, works with, and apparently he's also releasing music. Yeah, I heard he just released a single. I haven't listened to it yet. But. Yeah. I'm too busy listening to that record. Uh, yeah, that we both love so much. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't like actually talked to him since pre-pandemic. I think. Yeah. I think I might have run into him one place. Anyway, rarely have we been so in sync this week, you and I. As far as our our taste is concerned, uh, taste like and listenings and listenings and like everything, we're we're really in sync this week. Except for when I went to see Maverick and you didn't. And yeah, and you, <laughs> I didn't know you wanted to go. I didn't know you were free to go. The whole reason that I went... Okay, first of all, this is Mental Platypus. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. Uh, you can find us online at mental underscore platypus on Instagram and Twitter, although mainly it's Twitter. I think that the Instagram is dormant, and I'm not on Instagram. And One of these days, I'm going to do a photo dump of like all the cool captions I left off for like the last... Well, and, and the world waits with bated breath. No, no, um, no one gives a shit, dude. It was in my tone, first of all. You got to keep, you know, I, I, I get that there is some element that's uh, charming to the whole, uh, you know, nobody listens to us kind of thing. But you're, you're starting to, like, manifest that. We actually do have uh, a, a steadily, you know, small but growing audience. Like like I said, we're not, we're not like, reading ads for Bombus-level listenership. We're not, like, hawking... Uh, uh, Squarespace or when Squarespace comes calling, then I'll stop. Okay, to but a degree. There's 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 a lot of work to be done between where we are now and there, and you know it's not an it's not an overnight and, thing. And you know, uh, you know, for someone who's such a big fan of Conan, you think someone like me telling the same joke how we have no listeners would be funny to you? Uh, for that some reason, been- it's not. For some reason, it's a source. But you know what? I, I, first of all, after I say, you can find Jason at Jason E. Kyle, K-E-I-L, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and doing the the mo- uh, the monthly Phoenix uh, magazine. So to do in Phoenix? I do I do a few things Calendar. for Phoenix. Okay. Phoenix magazine. I write their weekly concert blog where I recommend five concerts that you could attend to, uh, that you could go to. Mm-hmm. Um and I also do their events calendar uh, in the print edition, do like their top 10 events, um, and which it turns into the top 10 events online. Uh, I write their music notes column. 
at the present moment and um, do the occasional article here and there as well. And almost on top of your day job, too. Yeah. And, um, and raising two kids and being a... And, be, and trying to yes, be... Yes, yes. You're awesome. You get all this stuff done. How does he do it? <laughs> <laughs> with... <laughs> With Which, a lot of uh, with a lot of anxiety, crying, and uh, help from your lovely wife. That too. I there mean, you go. It's not, right? It's a team effort. There you go. Um, <laughs> and this this gets back to and um, and and, uh, and somewhere she's in her office listening to us going, giving you a, a, a high five. Like, oh, I got yes! your I got your back. <laughs> 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 I it's. Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, I'll tell you a story in a minute when you're done. Okay. I just, so this actually gets to my point, though, is that uh, at this present moment, I, this, I think the reason that I'm not currently on board with this self-deprecating humor, which I, I, which I normally am, don't get me wrong, uh, is that currently this is like the creative outlet I have. Mm-hmm. I, I have... Um, I, I feel like personally, this is a, a, a relatively low period for me. I have a lot of stuff going on with work that is very stressful and anxiety-inducing, and uh, it's just a, a, a work is a huge focus for me right now. But not to get too deep on the podcast, this is this is sort of a uh, a pattern for me. Uh, it coincides that an increase. A huge increase, exponential increase in responsibility at work uh, has allowed me to dive headlong into that and just concentrate on nothing but work at the expense of uh, dealing with any personal shit. So that's what I have chosen to do now. And as a byproduct of that, I'm not doing hardly any you know creative uh, work at all other than, you know, playing the guitar to de-stress. I'm not really doing any kind of personal writing or anything like that because I just don't have the time or headspace for it. Um, And it's so, for me right now, this and the Patreon podcast are my creative outlets. Mm. Uh, And so I, you know, I'm not in the mood to do the self-deprecating. I got you. (laughs) Uh, But that's, I mean, and that's it. Normally I'm right on board with it. Right now I'm just, I'm, I'm, personally going through some shit where I just am not not up for dealing with the self-deprecating. I, I hear you loud and clear. And I, well, I know of the five of us, or, I know we have more than five listeners. <laughs> Good way to catch yourself. I, Nicely done. Yeah. Like, A for effort. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> like, we no, just you, talked we about just this. About this. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Like legit, like I legit read a book <laughs> in its entirety last week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I I was on Nebraska time, so it's I need to I need to find even the space to read. I need to find that that at this point in time, I I am watching just a ton of stuff. I'm listening to a ton of stuff. Reading has I have not made time for as soon as, basically as soon as I get to a point where I can be reading, I I zonk out. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Um, a lot of the time I read to sleep. I I I, I 
have also, I, I am in the, I used to be in the habit of that. And I, that's, you know, how I get a lot of my reading done. But now, basically, as soon as I sit there and open a book, I'm, I'm out. I don't have, I, I, I can't even get, um, I, I can't, I can't get far enough to, to have it be even worthwhile. So it's, I, I so the, the, the two B red stack keeps piling up and it'll, it'll all level off and I'll, I'll find some balance again, but it's, it's just one of those, those down cycles. Well, what I'm trying to say right now is I'm sorry. That's okay. And I hear you loud and clear. And you were loved. <laughs> I, I I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, but no, I mean, you know, it's it's I, I part of the balance of that too is 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 making sure that yesterday, uh, with it, you know, I, I went and saw Top Gun Maverick. Um, I am trying to make sure that which I was starting to say. The only reason I went to see it was because you couldn't record yesterday. Well, yeah, because I had gone. Well, the only reason why I didn't do that yesterday is because. I we had gone back Friday mm-hmm. night um, from Mesa Airport, um, and I knew I. No, you got back Thursday. Well, I mean, I, or at least you let me know you were getting back. I knew Thursday. I told you Thursday I was going back, back tomorrow. Okay. Gotcha. Night, mm-hmm. and I had had a stressful week uh, with work. Gotcha. Um, no, I, and I, I, knew I didn't that give you any shit about it either. Yeah. I, I I was just I, like, I yeah, just, sure. Hey, 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 it's fine. Yeah. It's, I, I I had to restock our, our shelves, apparently. Um, children need to eat. Yeah, I don't have that um, worry so much. Yeah. I, I bought cat food on Saturday. I That's, you know, actually, I almost did a double feature on Saturday. I almost went and uh, I almost saw, stayed to see um, uh, Crimes of the Future. I was going to ask. I, I'm surprised you went to, went to see... Maverick instead of Crimes of the Future. Yeah, because that's the one that all the cool kids are talking about. Well, so when when I decided that I was potentially going to do a double feature, I looked for which one was playing earliest, and there was like uh, this in itself is is depressing to admit. There's a 9:45 a.m. showing of Top Gun Maverick, and that's that's what I went to see. <laughs> so by the time that let out, I was going to have basically an hour plus wait until the next showing of, of Crimes of the Future. I'm assuming you went to see this at the mall. I, I went to Camel, yeah, the yeah. The, 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 the Harkins in, in the Fashion Square, and I did not yeah. want to hang out at the mall for an You hour. didn't want to hang out? Like, you could spend a, well, if they're letting people in again, you could spend a good 45 minutes in the Apple Store just looking at shit. I, I could. I, just, I, I, had, I had other stuff I want to do. I also wanted to go to the record store yesterday. I wanted to go to Zia and be disappointed that I couldn't find the movies that I was looking for yesterday. Yeah. Um, what movies and, were you looking for? Well, in particular, I was looking for the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans because... Yeah. And number three in particular, because I thought, well, I'll just buy the fucking Blu-ray for five bucks or something rather than rent it for four and uh, they they let me down. They didn't they didn't have it. So I I ended up renting it for four anyway. Yeah. Well, that's a good lead-in because I I too did between waiting for my target order to be fulfilled and going to Trader Joe's as I was. You know. I also went to Trader Joe's yesterday. 
Dude, we have never been so Camel, like uh, town and country one? Yeah, yeah. We were probably, uh, that's the first, well, that's the second stop I made after Top Gun let out because I, I went to get cat food. That's the only other yeah. living thing that I have to worry about feeding. Yeah. Well, like, between, so I went, you know, we were talking about Zia and I know uh, you give the record store I went to, you, you, you don't look fondly upon. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the owner. Yeah. Um, but I went there and it was kind of refreshing to be in a place that focuses solely. I, by the way, music. I have no problem saying it's the in groove and I think the owner's a dick. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, and I could, um, and, I say that knowing that I will shop there and there are times that I will, I, because I will find things that I, I don't find elsewhere and I have confidence in their, and you know, even though I think they're overpriced, I think they care, they take care of their, their used inventory and I trust their grading on stuff. So that's why I'll, I'll buy stuff there regardless. Yeah. And mind you, I didn't have like the, the greatest experience. Like no one helped me out. I could see the owner like in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, grading uh, a Candlebox LP, sure. uh, get, treating it with the same care uh, as you would a uh, as you would a Frank Zappa record, mm-hmm. um, while the customers complained about how all the Smiths LPs are fifty dollars, um, which not surprising. Um, which I'm like, have you ever been to a record store? <laughs> yeah, were these teenagers by chance? Yeah, like. Okay. And have it's it, interesting because I mean it'll get to something we'll talk about later on the on the bonus pod, but it's that's this like original, not re-released under Lion Smith songs. And <laughs> <laughs> like, and then having the gal who eventually took care of me behind the counter I, when she realized I was at the counter mm-hmm. five minutes after I arrived at said counter. Anyway, we're just waiting five minutes to have someone take care of me and do it in the least friendly way possible mm-hmm. i like and next thing i'm like oh god they're a hundred dollars <laughs> like well yeah i i i after being knowing that i was going to save my record buying four stinkweeds which is still my preferred record store of choice uh is you know i i went into zia uh hoping i would get some blu-rays and honestly, you know what? I had, a, I had a stack of things in my hand, but for some reason, I'm that type of shopper where if I go in looking for a specific thing and I'm disappointed that they don't have it, I put the other stuff back because I'm like, eh, fuck it. Why, why, why grab the rest of this stuff? It's not what I came in for and they don't have what I came in for, so I'm just going to leave. And I did. And I left without spending any money. It does, doesn't hurt them one bit. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, it's just how I... It's, it's honestly, it's how I do my any media shopping i'm like eh, you know that this place gets none of my money if they don't have what i want which again hurts nobody but me um, it, it was just nice being at a record store where it was focused solely on music everything was easier to find than like it isn't like if you go to the s's like you're bound to they're bound to have someone like a, a a divider for the band that you're looking for and not have to make you through search through all the other S's to get to the one that you want. Right. And you know that if you really want to go like find some like really bad scratched up copy of Duran Duran's Rio, 
Yeah. You just go, the bargain bins are like beneath. And like, Stinkweeds is great, but like, there's no room in that place to move. And um, I'm a fat man. <laughs> and <laughs> now, now is the time for your self deprecating. Yeah. Like, like self self deprecating. Yeah. Like, and they have like a legit great staff and like all that other stuff, but like, there's no room. Yeah. Like, and I don't know too many too many CDs. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. So I and there are CDs, by the way. CDs like sound quality is great on CDs. But yes, if you're here for vinyl, like <laughs> no. So, I mean, I I one of the reasons that I go to Stinkweeds, even though I mean it's the definition of a hole in the wall record store, mm-hmm. is that I do like the staff and. It's the sort of thing where if if I, I I can have a good music conversation in there. Like yesterday, yeah, when I went in looking for stuff, um, and 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 spent north of two hundred bucks, which I'm not proud of, but uh, <laughs> I'm not proud that I spent a hundred dollars. It's for three records. I almost spent a hundred and thirty because there was this. Uh, I guess for a record store day, there was Judd Apatow selects his favorite Warren Zevon tracks. Oh, really? Um, I missed that one somehow. Well, I'm also like, why would you let Judd Apatow pick pick for you the best Warren Zevon tracks? Pick well, your why own. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you're not, the thing is that Apatow is one of those people who has, I think, good music taste. And he's also, you know, if you've never heard Warren Zevon before, you know, then maybe it's a good entry point. But, like, is not picking Werewolves of London, like, or having a, a compilation that doesn't have Werewolves of London, like, the reason why this is justified to exist? I mean, my, he picked a good one. Like, he picked, um, he picked the good Zevon, some really good Zevon songs. Yeah. But I was telling like, do I need this? Like, I can well, the answer is no. First of all, I have other than than like later periods, Yvonne Records. I, I have all of the yeah. the LPs. I have, I think, everything up through the one from like '89. That um, it's either '88 or '89, but that has some tracks with uh, members of REM on it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I so no for me it has no appeal because as much as I like some of Apatel's work and I think that you know I actually kind of like Apatel himself even even though I think he's a legit it, cool dude a yeah funny dude yeah I mean is he do I think he's a, a brilliant filmmaker no do I enjoy some of his stuff yes um, have you seen Trainwreck I have not really yes. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like, for one, there's a lot of Wilco on that sound uh, on that in that movie. So, um, which just surprises me um, that I haven't seen it because of that. You haven't seen because of that. <laughs> Plus, um, Bill Hader's like legit amazing in that. But I like Bill Hader. Yeah. So I and, mean, and I it's guess a blind Andy spot. Isn't it? Yeah. It's it's a it's a blind spot. I'll admit it. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, I don't even know where we're going with this. Oh, was that I was, you know, flipping through, um, through, through LPs and, and, uh, started having a conversation about, uh, Lou Reed with, uh, Caleb behind the counter there. So Lou Reed, 
Lou Reed. So, I mean, and it's a small enough place that I can have that conversation with somebody while I'm flipping through. So what would you guys talk about? Uh, you know, I forget what the name of the album was that he was playing. And I can hang in there with a Lou Reed conversation. I'm not a huge Lou Reed fan. I'm, I'm more of a, of a Velvet Underground fan. Uh, but just the, just the fact that those kind of conversations happen there... Um, and that I, I get the feeling that there are people who love records just as much as I do for the music on it, not simply for the money-making aspect of it. Yeah. We actually had a conversation with someone at work about this the other day, which is surprising because um, the person who I frequently have music conversations with is also one, also is a fervent Breitbart reader. Because mm-hmm. oh, they'll ask me like, so what's with this Netflix and subscribers? Is it because they're so woke? And I'm like, no, it's because they raise their prices every year and they never have anything it's, to show it's for because it. Because it's become ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Because they never have anything to show for it. It has nothing to do with the fact that, like, uh, you know, they're woke. In fact, they're pretty much anti woke. Uh, right. Anyway, he was telling me how much he enjoyed. I could hear him talking with our science officer about the live version of Sweet Jane off a rock and roll animal mm. which is a legit great version it's nothing like the one Lowe did um and although the, the version on Lowe oh, it's really yeah. good yeah um I mean there's no there's no bad version of recorded version of Sweet Jane as far as I'm concerned mm. that Lou Reed has done but cause that song is amazing um, anyway, and of course, when you start talking about stuff like that, and it's a, I'm with an earshot, I have to join in the conversation. Sure. And he was surprised a, that I knew what he was talking about because mm. I'm a young who like, I'm 44 years old, dude. I don't like I'm so not young, but um, that I had watched the Velvet Underground doc. On oh, the Todd Haynes TV, the yeah. Todd Haynes thing, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and that I could tell him what I could tell him what Bowie song, what, what Mount the Hoople songs, what Bowie wrote for Mount the Hoople, mm-hmm. um, the story behind Transformer, how Bowie got involved with that, like, like this is like I mean, glam is kind of like my wheelhouse, dude, like. <laughs> And I'm gonna get any deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, just, but he was just more surprised and taken aback. And of course, I can't not tell the story of how I saw him at Lollapalooza in 2010, and he went over a set mm. because he had to play feedback, <laughs> <laughs> and thus making Band of Horses like wait patiently for for his. Do you know what Band of Horses can wait for Lou Reed? Yeah, nowadays they can. <laughs> no. I heard their new album is pretty good. I don't think I've heard anything off the new album. That's a bit. Like, we don't need to get on a band of horses tangent, but I love their first two albums. I think they're legitimately great. <laughs> the third one is okay. After that, I I lost track of them. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go on a brief tangent quickly, just because I have to say live it. they sounded great. By the way, because I I did see their set at uh, at innings one year. I don't remember if it was the last innings one I went to or the first innings, but. <laughs> Um, one thing I will say, though, is on a mild uh, musically related note, 
I started listening for for research. I started listening to the new Lumineers album, which is their fourth. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, I I didn't I wasn't sure why they continue to headline arena shows because they're playing Phoenix at Gila River in July. Really? Right. But apparently they're they still train on hits. Okay. For one, had no idea of this. Right, they're not like. I, well, for one, we we tend to lump them in with Mumford and Sons, who, mm-hmm. I mean, they've lost their mojo a long time ago. I'm. That's a band I've never liked. Yeah, but Lumineers, I listened to are listening to their new album, and I gotta say, dude, I really fucking liked it. Really, it's. I don't think I've ever listened to the Lumineers. Uh, it's another band I just uh, never, never got it, into. Their new album kind of veers into like Peggy and Springsteen territory. Really? Yeah. Like, no, like, um, like it's still kind of like they're they're so far beyond that, you know, that folk whatever thing label that they had like in the beginning. I mean, they still kind of like hang out there a little bit Mm -hmm. because it's, I mean, it's really comfortable and that's kind of what they're known for. But I was surprised at how like rock centric it was. And Hmm. like, it's a band that very anthemic stuff. No, it's not like anthemic. It's just like real, like it can be a little bit like wildflowers where it's kind of like very confessional and a little emotional and raw. Well, and wildflowers is my, is my favorite. And, And mind you, but it, it pales in comparison to wildflowers. But I mean, like, it's well, when a legit you say effort. when you say Petty and Springsteen, I'm thinking of you know usually I, when like something like Arcade Fire gets compared to Springsteen, oh. we're talking about their anthemic stuff. No, um, there's nothing really anthemic. Uh, there's a one or two anthemic tracks on here, but like, it's not like the Killers where they're trying so hard. Sure. Okay. It's just kind of like, I think whenever any. I think whenever any band in the 2020s or the 2010s tends to reach for anthem status, mm-hmm. they automatically get lumped in the, they're trying to be like Springsteen. Right. Because he's the, he's essentially the person who did it most successfully. Yes. And I think also because the killers tried so damn hard to do it mm-hmm. um, and succeeded on varying levels of success. Cause Samstown their second album after Mr. Brightside is like a legit one, a towards the promised land. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, that being a Springsteen reference. Right, right, right. No, I got you. And I think whenever anyone tries to do that, I think I might not get a Springsteen reference. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it, so when that happens, when any other band tries it, I think they kind of get the lazy writer tends to go, it's a Springsteen thing, and it, sure, I think it's more towards Heartbreakers territory, maybe than okay. anything. But like, it's just like it's, but it's their own thing. Okay. Uh, anyways, I'm just trying to say like it's not, it's not my recommendation for this week. Yeah. But I felt like I had to tell somebody other than Kristen, like sure that Lumineers album is like legit is, good, and they're actually... totally flying under the radar of like putting out. Really well, they good can't music. be flying that far under the radar if they're playing an arena show. No shit, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, 
you and me, I, I guess, flying under my radar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've been pretty dismissive of them. I, I, I feel like I lumped them in with, like you said, Mumford and Sons. I also think I probably lumped them in with, like, uh, Fleet Foxes sound. Yeah, um, and I'm so over. I, I was over the first, I was over the Fleet Foxes after the first album, and I never, I, you know, I never got back into it. And I don't think I've listened to Fleet Foxes at all since. And they get kind of lumped uh, in with Bon Iver, too. Which, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, Bon Iver is really doing their own thing, too. Mm-hmm. Or, but there's another guy I've, I've never gotten into, really. Yeah, like to be I... Honest. Yeah. Which is surprising, since you've gone back into listening to All Songs Considered. Yeah. Because that episode, I think, goes by where they don't talk about forever, Emma. Or, or, well, it depends on who's hosting the, yeah. the episode. Because, you know, if, it, if it's a Bob Boylan, then sure... But if it's uh, Robin, um, yeah, then then maybe not. Especially since the anyway, there's no there's there's something we need to get into and discuss. Before, yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say before we we actually do recommendations, and that's Nicole Olive Center's second film, Lovely and Amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was trying to make the good segue there. There's no good segue. We ran out of room for segue. We were taking off on a on a whole music tangent there. Because uh, I was going to say there's, that there's no what there's nothing to do but just rain us hard back into yeah. you know pull pull the reins hard. And, That's what and the people do. are here for. They're here listening to us talk about a female two white dudes talking about a female filmmaker. I you know what I I, I here's a I, what did you have in the way of notes? Did you have very many notes from this? No, other than it's again like it starts out at the time this was made. Again, like, okay, hang on, hold on to that thought. I do want to talk about the time. Yeah, because you're going to talk about. I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. Yeah, it's, it's become it. a thing right now. So, um, and and it's a thing. I realize we're not the only podcast to do this sort of thing. But hey, we don't make a game of it like the like uh, the uh, like blank check podcast does. Um, but I, I do think it's curious to to sort of put in a time capsule when something came out. So the. Um, the limited release, I want to talk about two weekends. I want to talk about the quote-unquote wide release, where at its widest release point, it was in 175 theaters, which is not very many. Uh, the, but the, the limited release was June 28, 2002. The top five for that weekend was Mr. Deeds, <laughs> uh, Lilo and Stitch, Minority Report, yes. Scooby Doo, <laughs> and The Born Identity. Wow. Yeah. Who would know that Jason Bourne and Nicole Hofstadter would once it would cross paths nearly twenty years later? And yeah, I I, I think that the the um this this bested walking on talking by a few spaces i think it at least cracked the top 40 as far as um as far as placement went but uh the the quote unquote again wide release of august 2nd 2002 number 1 is signs <laughs> the m night shyamalan turd um um stars and director notwithstanding, for the first hour and a half, that movie is legit good. Isn't that the one where they're just like the aliens are afraid of water or something? Again, 
for the first hour and a half, <laughs> that movie is legit good. How do we how do we wrap this up, Shyamalan? I know. Let's throw a glass of water on him. <laughs> it's it's again. I'm just gonna say for the first hour and a half, he, he wraps up the tension and then, and then diffuses shits the bed. it and then shits the bed. <laughs> so. he, he essentially he spills a glass of water on it. Um, yeah, yeah, he pisses the bed. Yes, <laughs> to keep the aliens away. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, number two is Austin Powers and Goldmember. Okay. Three is the Master of Disguise. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a way, you have a you have a, a reunion of, uh, of of Wayne's World stars there. It's, in, it's in like the late eighties, early nineties SNL people just kind of getting their and revenge. That's that's the last hurrah of of Dana Carvey as a as a as a lead. By the way, yeah. I'm pretty sure um, he, they tried so hard to make that happen, and it just it was not not going to happen. Um, and number four was a shock to me. It was Martin Lawrence live run, tell dat. It doesn't surprise me at all. It surprises the hell out of me. I, I guess I wasn't super aware of the star power of Martin Lawrence in 2002. Well, no one had, I think up until that point, no one had made a legitimately good stand up film. Well, you mean since Eddie Murphy. like Eddie Murphy? Yeah. I was gonna yeah. Say. And Lawrence was still like top of his game. Top of his game back then. In fact, again, little thing that you made was that peak Martin at that point. Yeah, I think we were still peak Martin because I think Bad Boys. I mean, Bad Boys had come out what maybe like less than ten years ago. He was, and he was making movies like Big Mama's House and Blue Street. Oh sure, and yeah, yeah. Like he was a legit box office draw, and like he's a legit funny dude. His stand-up was like... Yeah, Bad Boys was 95. Yeah. His stand-up was like unparalleled. And you know what? I didn't realize that was Michael Bay's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Like so Kevin we have, Hart, ba- we have Bad Boys to blame for that. Well, Kevin... And the thing is, like, Kevin Hart releases stand-up films like every five years. Okay. And we yeah. don't... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and they do like... And from what I'm to understand, they do legit business. Now, mm-hmm. if Kevin Hart, I found him funny. Yeah, I don't think he's that funny. Yeah, like I, um, there was something he was in recently where I, I, I found his presence amusing. But I legit don't find him, I don't find his comedy very funny. No, it's. Uh, I don't it, find him to be, it, it's, and he works hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's just, he's just not for me. No. Uh, and Stuart Little too was number five. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Michael J. Fox, Gene Davis for the win. Yeah, and Hugh Laurie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always forget House. House <laughs> is in it. Yeah, <laughs> House before House. Yep. House um, when it was an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that joke. <laughs> Also, is it funnier if it's apartment, or is it funnier if I say it's townhouse? Um, I think it's flat. Ah, okay. Regardless, yeah, I, I think we say flat. Yeah. Oh, f- well, flat because he's British. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta gotcha. say flat because it's it's Eng- it's the English way. All right. Uh, so I mean, so that's the 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 kind of um, you know milieu that it's it's being released into, which 
Not 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 a, a great time. I mean, Minority Report of all of those listed is probably the best film. Oh yeah, and and on either weekend, Born Identity. I, I mean, I like that franchise. All right, I like the the first one is the first one's good. The second one is fantastic. Mm. Um, the third one's pretty good too. But I mean, I it's been a while since I watched those. So what I wanted to say about this film is that. I, I like this film quite a bit. I did not like it as much as Walking and Talking. That was my first question. Uh, but here's the thing. is th- there, were, there were a couple of thoughts that I had while watching this film. Well, I mean, there are a number of thoughts. First of all, it doesn't look great. Uh, and I'm going to chalk that up to it's still the, essentially the nascence of digital filming. Yeah. It, it looked, when I watched it, so I... Airplayed it, yeah, from Canopy to from Canopy to my TV, I, and I, it looked I like I was watching thing. a sitcom. Yes, uh, it's it's not great. Qual- There's there are a number of independent films that are made around that time. So and let's talk. I mean, that's it's a film that had a two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget. Mm-hmm. Now a film like that can be made for it because of the of the you know the birth of digital film mm-hmm. essentially digital cameras. Because you're not paying for film stock anymore, which is very expensive. Right. So, I mean, the same thing that allows this type of film to be made is also what makes it, from a you know, f- from a, a visual standpoint, not hold up. It very much timestamps it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another film that I watched that also very much had that. Uh, you could tell the era that it was made in. Uh, which is Ethan Hawke's Chelsea Walls. Oh, yeah, because he did that video, didn't he? Yeah, he did that digital video. And again, you can very much tell that it's it's early digital video, and it just does not look great. Like, that's one of the reasons why I think Inland Empire, David Lynch's mm-hmm. movie after Mahan Drive, his follow-up, yeah. gets such a bad rap is because that was like his first entrance into like HD video. Right. Like, he filmed all on video cameras, and like, it, I screen it looks like shit but it didn't look so bad like um this movie lovely and amazing i mean it didn't look lovely and amazing but didn't look horrible it no, just it didn't looked look like horrible it's just very flat you can tell yeah. that it doesn't have the depth that digital is going to to have in the coming years yeah it looks like an early hbo drama yeah yeah well so the next thought i had the next like main thought was that today this would be a series. It would be it would be a, a series that um It would be Mrs. Fletcher. It, it would be Which uh, she would direct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean I could definitely see that. I was thinking it would be like a, a, if it were a network series, it would be a series that uh the stories got stretched out for for far too long and had too many episodes and overstayed its welcome. Um <laughs> So there'd be that. But no, I mean, I could see it being an HBO series now, like a limited, like a, a Mrs. Fletcher or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I, absolutely. That's immediately where, that's immediately where my mind went. Um, the other when, thing. The, when, the, when Catherine Kinger's uh, plotline developed even more. Well, so let's talk plot, of which there is very little. Yeah. There's, there is an almost non-existent plot. And that is not, I'm not saying that is a bad thing. It, what I... And I also want to say that I did enjoy it thoroughly. I thought that 
essentially to me, this is, it's, it's the, all the same reasons that I like films like Squid and the Whale, uh, you know, or, or, you know, name another, uh, Noah Baumbach joint. It's, it's essentially. It's Noah Baumbach. If he, if he were, if he could write for women, women. yeah, basically. (laughs) It's, it's, Which it's is he doesn't have to case. do that anymore because that's why he's it's why it's what Greg Gerwig's for yeah sure, um, although she makes her own fine films right very well Lady Bird you know <laughs> yeah this is sort of a prototype a prototype of that Lady Bird kind of thing though I mean I mm-hmm. to me without a Hall of Center there's no Gerwig yeah you're saying that. Um, if it wasn't for Hoff Center, uh, Hoff had to crawl so Gerwig could walk. Yes, this is what I'm saying. So, and it's it. It's just it's it's so ordinary and so mundane that uh, this is essentially like I'm saying. Like if if it's if uh, you know, insert Noah Baumbach film title here, or insert even like John Irving, you know film uh you know based film in here somewhere this is this is essentially uh you know also during a period where a lot of 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 john irving stuff was being made into into yeah you've got your side of house rules you've got your you know whatever they ended up calling it door on the floor or whatever it was the the bridges one yes um i seem to recall that film having more than one title um well that's not the Name of the book, but I forget the novel of which is on, which is based. What it's based on, but yeah, yeah. you're Simon Birch. Yeah, there was a very time where John Irving was John Grisham, where they every seemingly everything they could seem to have cinematic value, they made into a movie. And again, that's not a a bad thing. But this is this is very much. I'm very on board for this type of storytelling because I do love my Noah Baumbach films and, and I have, I've really thoroughly enjoyed these hall of center films so far. I it's, it's also what I so thoroughly, thoroughly love about the person who has probably turned into my favorite writer of at least of late anyway, who's Laurie Moore. Um, like her, especially her, her short fiction that is not dissimilar to this where it's, it's really just character driven, uh, sort of, uh, mundane day to day things. That's also a, a huge reason why Raymond Carver is going to forever be one of my favorite writers is that again, these, you know, completely, I would say heightened, but very, you know, it could be your next door neighbor kind of person. I forget. I actually read a quote about this the other day. It, no, it was Hornby. We were, when I was reading the Hornby essay. Oh yes, which he's t- yeah. No, yeah. that's a, that, that's a very interesting point. Where he, yeah, there is a, an, a paragraph in the essay we're going to talk about on, on Patreon. Yeah, but there's between that and I read. Um, I was reading Conversations with Friends mm. by Sally Rooney, mm-hmm. which like. Oh yeah, no, that's that's very much uh, like, similar to this kind of. Yeah, well, yeah. like, I mean, literally, it's about. But this is this is seriously like fifteen to twenty years before mm-hmm. Sally Rooney's writing. Yeah, and uh, it, yeah, but and like the I am like 
in a book, you're able to get into details about class and mm-hmm. uh, money and uh, the state of the world. And it's definitely going to be a product of its time, like uh, of 2017. Like in 2035, no one's going to give a shit about this novel. Uh, or it'll be like a uh. good time capsule. Normal people is going to be... Normal people is going to be the book that people remember about Sally Rooney. I, sh- uh, okay. All right. But, I, I did read conversations with friends, though, and I, I, I would say from, you know, there's there's definitely a through line from this Nicole Holopsen or Laurie Moore kind of storytelling yeah. straight to that. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, kind of like this is like, and touching on that hornbeat, like they're trying to make this mundane, you know, mundane white woman life mm-hmm. seem relatable in some way and funny and take it above someone, give it dimension. It was hard for me right. to find it's, that it's dimension. Like finding the extraordinary and the ordinary. Yeah. And I which of the one the one person who I found extraordinary mm-hmm. was the eight-year-old girl yes. who their mother adopted. What is her name? Annie? In the in the movie? In the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Who is just trying to seem funny in this in this world where she clearly doesn't belong. No, she, the the personality is very interesting though, because this this little girl, this little African American girl who is being raised by a middle-aged white woman who has two fully grown adult children and they're all self-absorbed completely self-absorbed all yeah I, I, including the the yeah. the blenda brenda, brenda Blevin Blevin character. character yeah and like it's like she's getting liposuction to yes. impress her plastic surgeon pretty much because it's made clear that she's not currently seeing anybody yeah like she's clearly like spending ten thousand dollars and risking her life. Yeah, it almost kills her. It almost it, kills her to get some fat sucked out. Yeah, um, because she she's wants flirting to, with her plastic surgeon. Because she's flirting with her plastic surgeon, right? And and then you have um, Catherine Keener, mm-hmm. who is just one miserable person. She, she's well, I mean, Ang- I, like, Jimmy Angley. This is this is who this, I could very easily identify with the Catherine Keener character because I'm like, <laughs> well, shit, I'm still trying to plug away at my creative endeavors and not getting anywhere with it. And the fact that, you know, I, I'm not in the position that she was, though, where she has Clark Gregg essentially saying, OK, it's time to stop fucking around with this shit. Get a job. Yeah. And she gets like and she legitimately gets the one job that like. Like she walks in and like, just give me a job so I can tell my husband like I fucking did this shit. Right. Well, okay. So let's finish setting up the dynamic though, and I want to yeah. go back to the thing about Annie because she she has the personality developing where she thinks it's the most hysterical thing in the world to make people think that she is drowning and floating at the top of the pool. She has a very dark sense of humor. Yeah. Um, she thinks it's hysterical and doesn't see why people are upset about it. She. It, she doesn't have, like, she doesn't. And I think this is a good portrayal of what can happen with somebody who means well, which is what I think the the Brenda Bloodland character does. She means well. She's like, you know, this sort of, I would assume what began as a foster then adoptive situation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she, I think, you know, you can probably, again, I think through line might be my, my, my word of choice for this, this podcast, but the through line shot (laughs) of, of why she's getting liposuction is also, I mean, can be directly related to why she at this stage in her life adopted an African-American child. Mm Mm-hmm. It's something, it's not necessarily for the child's benefit, it's to make herself feel better and Mm -hmm. to make, you know, to have what, at this point, with this empty nest, I would imagine, again, there's there's just casual mention of their father Mm -hmm. as some piece of shit who they don't care about. Uh, And doesn't care about them. Yeah. So, she's at this stage alone in her life. Pretty much, even though it doesn't seem like either one of her grown daughters can really completely hack it on their own. No, um, they're they're both kind of messes at this point. But um, you know, it's 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 there. It doesn't feel like, and and I would say that that very much that the the Brenda Blethen character likes i mean loves the the girl she she is trying to do well by her but that scene where after the girl gets her hair straightened where she's like what you know where where Brendan Blethen is like what did you do to your hair like you know and and she's saying things like buy her a hat to cover up <laughs> it's it, 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 there's there's some like disturbing piece of and I think this is this is why I I'm enjoying Hall of Center's work so much is that the commentary on that is it's the feeling of it's it's not doing it for the person that they adopted it's for the feeling of the white savior complex. Yeah. So if if she suddenly starts behaving and trying to emulate white culture then she loses the visual showpiece of look what I've done. I've saved this black child. Mm-hmm. And it's funny is like when Emily Mortimer's character mm-hmm. goes to um, Anjuan Ellis's, who's her like big brother, big sister, big, big sister, yeah. Um, and she says, "Well, she needs like a black friend." And right. she's like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah, like, no, no, yeah. this this isn't what I signed up for." Yeah, right, like. And yeah, she's not. She's not like, signing up to be the the by proxy, uh, you know, black by association person who's who's raising this child in the way of 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 uh, African American culture. Yeah, like, it's not her responsibility. Yeah, it's just like this isn't my. Well, and let's talk about the irony of that too, because she has she's part of this obviously upper middle class, you know, household. Where the there's there's no way that she's hurting for anything materially, and she just wants attention. That's why there's, she's yeah. there's that and and the 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 mother is too far up her own ass to really be able to spend it. So she puts her in a program that's designed for less fortunate people. <laughs> yeah, and. And when she, when she doesn't have time to give her the attention that she so desperately needs, she gives her to her daughter, mm-hmm. played by Catherine Keener, who also has her head so far up her ass. Well, they they all do. Yeah, they they really do, and it's to it's to varying degrees. 
But you look at... Uh, before we get too much further, I do also want to talk about the irony of this very, again, upper middle class white American family where two thirds of them are played by British actresses. <laughs> yes. That, 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 um... With great aplomb, I might add. Emily Mortimer has some trouble keeping her accent out of it, uh, but she's fantastic in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think she won an Independent Spirit Award for it, which is much deserved, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I don't know about that, but I, she was probably of the three a, of the actresses. Um, well, for one, I didn't realize that I was one Ellis. I'm sure I, pronoun- I am way mispronouncing her first name mm-hmm. uh, incorrectly. I didn't realize she was in this movie, and I think she is fantastic, um, and a fantastic actress. I was rooting for her to win an Oscar before for King Richard. Mm-hmm. Before the nominations even came before out, before Slapgate, <laughs> well, even before the mo- like, even before she was nominated. Okay, yes. Like I just said, give her an award. She's been doing work. Like she's been flying under the radar, doing fantastic work for twenty years, mm-hmm. and that's how like far under the radar she is. I didn't know she was in this movie mm-hmm. until I watched it. And when she shows up, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> well, there are a lot of those moments. I, you know, I was like, oh, it's Clark Gregg. Check yeah. that out. And well, I was like, oh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Check that out. Well, you know what's funny, too, is that um, I just read an article about her in, like, Variety, mm-hmm. where, like, I guess for her 50th birthday, mm-hmm. she came out. Oh. Um, and no one cared. <laughs> like, that's how far into the radar she flies. Like, yeah. She, the woman's, like, been nominated for an Oscar... And of course, no one remembers who won an Oscar over, like, this year because all everyone still fucking talks about is Will Smith slapping. Right. Slapskate. Slapskate. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, I don't know where I was going with this. Um, but that would be was, awesome if they renamed the Oscars to Slappies. <laughs> <laughs> Just have a gold man with his arm out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And a little lever where <laughs> it'll move it back and forth. <laughs> but I, but I think the plot of this get back to me what the what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. So, as we're introduced to the to these women, this this um, these three women, and the, the sisters and Brenda Blethyn, they're just women who are so far up their ass, and mm-hmm. like starting with mom with her surgery. And you Mortimer, Emily Mortimer with her arms. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. not dealing with the rejection that comes with being an actress. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, James LeGrow <laughs> yeah. is like, I don't want, you know, like, I'm I not the guy for you. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to do this. Which is an interesting, yeah, it's, it's an interesting role for him. And it's, it, I mean, and I, I can understand that, though, too, which is, which is kind of interesting having kind of gone through something a, a little similar in, in, in a relationship recently is that the, you just, sometimes you just can't hang in there. It's very much, you know, a, 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 a heightened thing all the time. Like how many dogs do you have to adopt till you realize that you're happy? Or that you're not right, and again, happy. she's not adopting. And she's not adopting them for the dog. She's adopting them to make herself feel better about. Look, I I rescued mm-hmm. something. Yep. Like look what I did. 
Like, but the one thing... It sounds horrible to say, but the same reason that Emily Mortimer's character is adopting the dogs is, is the reason Brenda Blethyn adopted a daughter. Yes, at but... That stage in her life. Right, but at the same time, it's also like... like she Brenda, Well, I think... Um, and you got Catherine Keener, who's the homecoming queen, and it's just... So far up her ass that she doesn't realize a her husband's having an affair or maybe she does. And I, yeah, she because she she they discuss it when she after she gets uh, imprisoned for statutory rape. Yeah, uh, um, which um, I want to talk about that. In a I do bit. too. Um, but although my tone sounds a lot happier, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and like. <laughs> Or she thinks like her art. Like, did you, would you buy one of those fucking chairs? I mean, they were kind of cool looking. They're, if I if I sell one, uh, you know, at a place for ten bucks, or f- f- first of all, if Catherine Keener was trying to sell it to you, I would buy the whole box. Well, yeah, if Catherine Keener's gonna sell it to you. I know you're like, <laughs> you're all over that shit. I'd be like, here's my money. <laughs> Take my money, please. <laughs> um, but like, it's just kind of like, um, but they're like. There's this part at the end where she talks about what do we pass on? Is it hereditary or like is it is it nature or nurture? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of what the movie's about mm-hmm. is because you see what, how this behavior affects um what's her name uh the, the little girl. I think it's I think it's Annie. Annie. Is the name Raven uh, Goodwin is the name of the actress by right. the way, and she is also fantastic. Um, how it affects Annie, because Annie starts to become, like, become attention hungry. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like, and Catherine Keener sees right through it in the beginning. Well, because she has the same sort of thing, really. Yeah. I mean, you notice it in her interactions with Clark Gregg too. It's, I mean, it becomes about, I mean, their 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 conversation where she tells him that he doesn't find her attractive anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So and like the fact that they're all worried about like her shooting her like that's like that's culture man like don't fucking give her shit about the hair yeah like, that's what that's what bothered me like this is all played for laughs and I'm like going that is like a legit piece of African American female culture that you're making fun of well no, I I see I don't feel like it's played for laughs so because the and the. Or they explore character, that more. The character of Annie is is trying to be. She, I mean that that scene in the drugstore where she walks. You know, she talks to Emily Mortimer first about like how you know the the hair, um, you know, of of the 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 black woman on the box of whatever hair product. She's, Dark and lovely. Yeah. Um, how that looks, she, Annie is saying that it essentially looks ridiculous, comical. Mm -hmm. And she walks off for a little bit and then Dermot Mulroney comes in and they start having that conversation. Oh my God. And then, but then Annie comes back up with the, with the, the box of product and the birthday card with the clown on it and puts the two next to each other. And she's like, see, and there's, there's. And you know I'm I'm a you know essentially a, a sneeze away from forty, and um, I had never really thought about that before. But the the classic clown wig is very much uh, a a 
complete slap in the face to to uh to to black hair types. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I would like but, to see Sorry, to, to to finish that thought though. I mean, the heartbreaking part of it to me is that she's doing these things. She's not doing the hair straightening to try to be like the big sister. She's doing the hair straightening because she's legitimately ashamed of her black heritage. Mm-hmm. And she wants she wants nothing more than to be white. Um mm-hmm. and I think that the a lot of the reason for that is because of <laughs> of the terrible, you know, I, I don't know about terrible, but definitely misguided upbringing she's had at the hands of Brenda Blethyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, because also, at the pool, she goes full on into fat shaming the 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 girl who starts uh, yeah. like giving her shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's directly tied to the liposuction thing. Yep, it is. It's just like, and like she's eight, she has a chance to like they have a. This is her chance to break the damn cycle. Right. And it doesn't look like it's going well. No, it's not. I, but what, so we're going all over the place with this, but there, there's, there's well, not it's all much part in of the, the way plot. of there's Well, but there isn't much in the way of plot other than when it comes to a head and begins to blow up for everybody. Right. Um, because, you know, by the time Catherine Keener gets the job, which I, I love that scene of Clark Gregg brushing his teeth and saying, did you just get the job so that you could tell me that you got <laughs> And like, clearly the answer is yes. It is, but it's, 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 it's this, it, I, 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 okay. So other than, other than through line, heartbreaking is, is probably my, the second word. So through line and heartbreaking, if you're playing a drink, uh, drinking game, the the heartbreaking thing about their relationship is that it's it's also this very classic waspy, um, uh, you know, just not speaking to each other kind of thing, like not having that communication of, you know, they're both they're they're the reason that their their motivations are essentially at this point all their their motivations are to hurt each other, mm-hmm. whether or not that's direct or indirect. Clark Gregg his his affair thing is very pointedly because he can't talk to his wife about anything. Yeah. And feels like she is essentially, you know, making him feel bad for her lack of success. Mm -hmm. And her advice to everyone, Mm -hmm. whether it be him or her sister or her sister is tell them like, like like, talk to them or like, but you don't, she doesn't actually legitimately. She doesn't talk. follow her own advice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of hypocrisy in this. Yeah. Room. And so, but I mean, it's obvious that Catherine Keener. It's the upper class white person way. Yeah. She, she, she can't, she can't sell her wares. So she ends up finally taking this minimum wage job at a one hour photo where a 17 year old Jake Gyllenhaal is her boss. <laughs> Which, by the way, have you ever seen The Good Girl? With Jennifer um, Aniston and Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I if I have, it's been it was probably when it came out. It's essentially that whole plot line is essentially the good girl. Okay, except it's not Catherine. Replace Catherine Keener with with Jennifer Aniston, Aniston and make Jake Gyllenhaal more depressed. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I mean, interesting too because um, Friends with Money has. 
Jennifer Aniston in it, and it's a Nicole Hall of Center joint. Yeah. And I think um, Good Girl was written by Mike White, um, who did Chuck and Buck and White Lotus. And, right. Um, <laughs> it is Mike White, yeah. yeah. And directed by Miguel Artera. Yes. Who would do... Um, God, man, this is shit I'm talking And about. came out the same year as Lovely and Amazing. Are you serious? I am absolutely serious. Like It's essentially like the same... Like sa- the same month almost. It came out August 7th, 2002. It was the same month, oh pretty God. much. Yeah. Well, that's why this movie isn't <laughs> didn't get attention, because they didn't have Fox money behind it. Fox Searchlight money behind it. Cost, like, yeah, a hell of a lot more than Lovely and Amazing. Mm-hmm. And probably had a nice marketing campaign behind it. Probably, but didn't make that much more, considering. No, I think it was considered a flop by independent film standards. So, yeah. Um, do we need to talk about... So uh, here, here's what I want to bring up about, yeah. um, about the Jillian Hall-Keener relationship. Please tell me. Other than like... <clears throat> How his ba- how his bedroom was so circa two thousand. Oh yeah, just all the the <laughs> alternative rock, you know, kind of deal. Um, Papa Roach poster just sitting uh, there. Yeah. Prominently. Uh, I think there was a candle box. Uh, was it candle box? I think it was stained or something like. That. It was all like new metal. The, there, yeah, there's uh, some shit back there. Anyway, so yes, that's that's humorous. Um, I, I want to point a couple of things out. <clears throat> One that depressed me right away, which is that uh, my my birthday is December 22nd. Mm-hmm. 82 is the year I was born. Jake Gyllenhaal, December 19th, 1980. The man is only two years older than I am. <laughs> you do realize, like, are, we, are you comparing yourself to Jake Gyllenhaal at this I point? Am, yes. Are you upset that you haven't slept with Catherine Keener yet? I'm getting there. No, see, that's <laughs> <laughs> both literally or figuratively. <laughs> For a moment, I was just—it's—I it, have—I I think I might have talked about this on mic before. It, it, it was—it's either been on—I um, I think it is—is is either on a, a men, on a, uh, an album infinitum or it was on a, a limited engagement where I—I I, I have an irrational dislike for anybody who's around my same age who has much, much better, like higher success than I do in any of the fields that I would be interested in or adjacent to. So, you know, for instance, for, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. So you're upset at Jake Gyllenhaal because he's... Because he's, you know, talented and, and, you know... He also had parents who helped him get to where he is today. Anyhow, so that aside, you, I just yeah, thought I, I thought I should mention. That. Okay, I think I should mention in in your defense in your very strong defense, mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal a was like his parents are famous people who did this got him that work. Like I do constantly blame my mom for not being part of the Hollywood. Uh, yeah. Elite. I, th- I think yeah. that all of my shortcomings are, are due to my my mother not. Well, being I'm just saying, like more famous. I'm just saying, like <laughs> you, if you're going to compare yourself to Jake Gyllenhaal here, the Which, reason, of course, for the rest of my life, I must. Yes. Now that you said it on air, <laughs> is because like your mom didn't pave the way for you, like 
Jake Gyllenhaal's parents paved the way for him and Maggie. I, you know who else? I, ha- I, I, I am a huge fan of Liam Finn. But for a moment there, when I found out he was born the same year I was, I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. And it does help that... His like, father is Neil Finn. Yeah, that yes. his father is Yeah, Neil of Finn. course. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's my parents' fault for not being um, you know, in the arts and being able to give me the leg up that I very much deserved. Yeah. So, I mean... I see. You think like it's your parent. You're blaming your parents. I know you're doing this. For fu- it's, you're doing yeah, it for It's completely purposes. facetious. Yes. 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 I know Aaron's listening right now and just kind of going. <laughs> I tried. I, I don't think my mom listens to the podcast. I know honest. she does. Um, anyhow, so the- she's the fifth listener. <laughs> um. No, to me, this was not a this was not a disappointment that I hadn't. That that Jake Gyllenhaal's character has has slept with Catherine Keener's character and Jennifer and, Aniston in the same year. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty good year. <laughs> anyway, to me, it was like, huh? There's not much of a difference in age gap. It could still happen. <laughs> that, that, That's the that, way you look at. That was my takeaway. <laughs> That's the way you look at. I still have a shot you with Catherine Keener. You have a chance. There's a chance. Who she's mar- who is she married to? Is she married? I don't. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I should. I, maybe I should see if she's on Hinge. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I I should I should widen my radius of how far I'm willing well, this is to, why, to travel. Well, this is what it's all leading up to. It's leading up to you. Like all your disappointments along the way are all leading up to your to you and Catherine Keener getting together. She was actually married to Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, not any longer. From uh, from 1990 to 2007, it says according to the so Wikipedia. That's how, so that's how he gets work. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Dermot Mulroney, yeah, I think I'm a little hesitant to talk about this, but I think we have to. I want to talk about the scene where. And William Warmer the, makes uh, him point out her flaws. I, I didn't know if you want to talk about that one or talk about the casting couch scene or both. We can talk about it all because, for one, that casting couch scene, I, Mike, like she goes from like a Miramax movie, yeah, to a Lionsgate movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't like, I'm thinking like, is this what the casting couch is like? Probably because she is clearly uncomfortable. Yes, and it has nothing to do with her esteem whatsoever. Like it, it's, it's cringy. Mm-hmm. It made me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, especially the first time he shoves her tongue, his tongue down her throat. Yes, like, and the casting people are just kind of like, okay, now make it sexy. Right. So from the production side of it, they're they're a bunch of horrible leches, or certainly the. The guy is, and it's obvious mm. that he's driving that. And the two women are just standing there, silent, like, right. Which I think it's, it, I think it's this interesting, especially for the time, which is essentially nearly twenty years before, um, you know, before the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. uh, is just flat out showing like the dynamics of everything. It's mm-hmm. the 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 male executive who is essentially driving this horrible practice Mm -hmm. uh and then the women who are feeling like they have to be silent so that they can keep their jobs 
and here's the here's the thing is that like all these people are te- like James Legros, her boyfriend, mm-hmm. is telling her from like the beginning when she has to wear that horrible dress. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And which accentuate uh, which. It has cutouts, nothing to the imagination. Yes, uh, no. If uh, you look at the way that the that that fabric is put together, it's it's not it's not you know directly open and exposing her breasts, but there's obviously less material there on purpose. Yes, like and James Legros is telling her like you don't have to do this, right? But she feels that she has to for her career. Yeah, and. Uh, that's why he leaves. Right. Because like, I can't do this. I can't take care of dogs and, you know, be, I, I can't be. He essentially feels like he's in the position right or wrong of yeah. managing her self-esteem. Yep. And he can't do like, who, who can do that? Right. Like, well, and, and his argument is another actor can. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because he can go, he, that person could relate Right, be, right. He can't relate to it. He cannot. And so, which leads to the scene post-coitus of, uh, uh, of Emily Mortimer standing in front of Dermot Moroni naked and essentially, you know, I wouldn't know, I don't know about demanding necessarily, but, but certainly imploring him to tell her everything that he, all of her flaws yeah. physically. And, uh, I think, and, well, and to also, if there are any good points, she says, you know, feel free to say those. But it's almost like an afterthought that she says that she she's wanting to be on display to have him tell her all the things that he sees that are flaws physically for her. Yeah. Um, which, I, just first of all, in in a completely non, uh, I, I hope it comes off in a non lecherous way. Emily Mortimer is a beautiful woman. Yes. Um. And again, I say that in a non-lecherous way. I, 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 like, I felt that way when she had clothes on. Yes. Oh, yeah. But um, it's... And so he feels trapped. I mean, who in their right mind, first of all, wouldn't feel trapped by somebody saying, standing before them right after they've had sex with you and saying, okay, now I want you to look me over as mm-hmm. I put myself on display and tell me all the things that are wrong with me. And. That's where you that hear. That sounds like a trap. And that's where you hear Emerald Akbar in yeah. the back of your head going, "It's a trap." Yeah, of course. <laughs> but Dermot Moroni, as a fellow actor, at first thinking, you know, this is a trap. This is going to come back to to bite me in the ass. You're going to use this against me, kind of thing. And he still can't did. help himself but to do it. No, I, I don't think it did. I think that if she didn't have stitches in her lip from getting bit on the face from uh, a, by uh, a dog, that she would have gone out with him again. Yeah. But... But he's... Because of how close it is in proximity to that incident, he's seeing it that way. Um, I don't think she intends, intended to hold it against him. I can tell you the thing that me and Kristen talked about uh, most after that scene. Was it the bush? Yes. Okay. Which... I think it was very clearly a Merkin. <laughs> okay. I I just I who knows? Not even in my all even in any of the old playboys I've ever seen have I ever seen something like that. I have. Excellent. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> It's it has happened uh, in in person. So, 
I I was willing to buy it. That that was because that just was au naturel. That's like a legit scary movie Wayne's Brothers joke just waiting to happen. You know, I I don't know. I as speaking as somebody for whom physical attraction ends up being a result of intellectual attraction. Um. Like not every, that I can't just say not that like I can't every just, cis white male. Dude. No, I, he, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and and I'm not saying this to say hey I'm woke or whatever. It just legitimately has always been that if I can't have some sort of actual like real conversation with somebody or be able to communicate mm-hmm. with them in any kind of meaningful way, um, that their physical perfection it, it will never. It's not going to be enough. Right. So here. that's just that's just how I've always been, but. That's anyway. So, it's interesting. the 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 thing that he falls into is that because he's an actor, mm-hmm. that he just does constantly, and he has it for himself. He starts talking about his own body, you know, which is the guy. The guy's in shape. If I had Dermot Mulroney's body in two thousand, you know, as it was in two thousand two, I would be, you know, I would feel like I had a lot more self esteem, probably. <laughs> And and I'm not you know I'm not a terribly overweight guy now, but I do have. Dude, if I had your body, I, I'd be, I'd probably feel a oh, little more self confident. Um, anyway, <laughs> dude, I got weighed the other day at the doctor's office, and I just was like, "Don't tell me what it is," because I, hey, I know I've since I've had kids, mm-hmm. I've gained a lot of weight, and that's be- and that has a lot to do with a lot of things. Sure. Uh, um, mainly just finding time to exercise mm-hmm. to, to the amount that I have. Right. But, like, I don't want to make this, like, you know, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me type of thing. But, like... No, but legitimately, I mean, I... But I, I not, understand, Not like, having the first-hand experience, I'm I'm very well aware that it's a lot harder to be healthy when you're taking care of children. Yeah, it, it really is because you're putting everyone... You're putting their needs first before you. Well, and, you know, if you're working and you're yeah. like, okay, got to get dinner. Let's just hit the fast food real quick or whatever. Yeah. You know, all that kind but of But this isn't about Jason's, you know, food insecurity. This is about lovely and amazing. It is. Yeah. Right. But so, but he has that similar mindset. And so yeah. this is the conversation that she can have. And it's essentially, it's her recognition of that mm-hmm. because of, of what her ex, you know, said uh, that, you know, yeah, we can relate on this level. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, regardless of whatever else is going on, they have this inherent superficiality because it's the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you are judged based on your looks and your chemistry. Right. And I don't, I but don't. It's, it's some fantastic writing where he suddenly is like, okay. And then starts going off about how your breasts are amazing from the front. They look, from the front, they look great. From the side, they're a little droopy. I think one's a little bit larger than the other, but but your nipples are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just like, it's not when we're watching this, I'm like, I do not want to talk about the, like, I, I, he's going to mention the bush. <laughs> yes, of <laughs> and course, he, did. And he does, yes. And I'm like, going, I said to Chris, I don't know if I want to talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> I, I got, but I don't think we can not talk about it because it's a point in the movie. It's a, it's yeah, and it's, and it's not again in the in the way that it's handled. It's not. It's not. I don't feel like an exploitation of anything. Oh no no no! It's very again. It rides a line between creepy for mm-hmm. me. Uh, as but, a viewer, uh, as a male viewer, as a male yeah. viewer, but also 
I think, and maybe empowering in, in some level. I well, don't want to guess because there's to me there's like this this insight. This is why I'm saying that this is this is as though you know in the same way that I can sit there and identify with a Noah Baumbach character, mm-hmm. you know that I can't identify necessarily with a Nicole Hollip Center character. I can appreciate that this is the sort of thing that if. That, that we I, that we put through women through. Well, yeah, not just that. It's to me, it's it's the well. This is the kind of thing that this is the kind of viewpoint that I want to absorb mm-hmm. from the source that I want to absorb it from. Yeah. If it was written by Baumbach, I would. I, you know, this I like I, I've said many times. I have I have ish, I take issue when when males write. From the viewpoint of a woman, right? Um, th- that for some reason I don't have when a woman writes from the viewpoint of a man. But it, you know, I, I think that it can be done successfully in either case, and sometimes it's just handled very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I, the the writer that can, and let's let's even take it so far as to say, you know, any anywhere along the spectrum, that a person who is n- not does not identify with that viewpoint uh, or identify as that viewpoint. Um, it's rare when they can successfully pull it off mm-hmm. um, without it sounding like it's either a, a patronizing viewpoint or that it's uh, like ham fisted trying to be uh, overly progressive. Let's say uh, it's, it's very hard I think for somebody to, to really nail an experience that is not their own. And I, I don't mean that to, to say that somebody shouldn't try and that that shouldn't be represented, but I, when it's, when it's unsuccessful, it's, it's really a, a complete trip. It's obvious. Yeah. 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 This is successful, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And, and, I I didn't feel uncomfortable in that moment watching yeah. that because of how it was delivered to me. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where Blenda Blethman mm-hmm. does that to Catherine Keener. Yes. And so and that's where the title of the movie comes from. Yes. Um which didn't make me feel like uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh like everyone has that moment in that movie where someone tells them and believes them or not believes them. Mm-hmm. So, but all this comes to head moving, moving things along all the, the things, these threads all come together mm-hmm. in a, uh, premiere party, the premiere party. Yes. Which, but which for a movie that, Apparently, it was washed in someone's backyard. <laughs> I think it's the after party. I, it doesn't take like I don't know. I don't know how things work in LA. Which, yeah. by the way, it took me an hour to realize that this movie took place in LA. Yeah, because um, I thought it took place in New York. <laughs> oh no, I I, I knew where oh. it was. It's that, but um, but um, neither here nor there, I guess. This this moment, the, the, the after party and the immediately following scenes um, are I, where I, I where this where it puts it over the top as a really good solid film for me. Yeah. Um, the whether it's K- 
Keener deciding deciding that no, this she wants the attention. She wants to hang out at this party, and then as soon as she's left, realizes is is just like faced with the she's nobody there, mm-hmm. and it just all it does is is make things even worse. Um, and to where to which she then goes and 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 uh, gets you know arrested with Jake Gyllenhaal in the car for for statute. And I love how much did you love that line of Catherine Keener saying, "Oh, I have that robe." <laughs> <laughs> because there's no fast like and i think Hall plays that perfectly where he's like what do you don't no you don't don't talk about my mom's robe because <laughs> <laughs> there is no faster way to make that unsexy like <laughs> i mean i have that robe <laughs> are you like for one are you so- before I, the scene that takes place with them before this is like her coming to his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is just ridiculous. Which yeah, like, as, as what did you think would happen? Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, wh- what did you think would happen? Like, wh- would that your presence would not somehow raise suspicions that right. someone in their in in their mid thirties shows up to see your someone twenty years their junior? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, obviously, that's not going to end well for anybody, um, and, and 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 it doesn't. Of course, the irony of of her getting arrested in that moment is that she is telling him that they're not going to go banging in a hotel. <laughs> and I, another moment I love is when she says motel, and he's like, no, 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 no. Hotel. hotel, something classier. It's like, <laughs> like he's like Benjamin Bragg. Like, and then they're at the fanciest hotel in California. But no, I mean, I mean, just like the his his first thought is, oh no, we're not doing anything sordid. We're not going to a motel. It's a hotel. It's it's classy. I just, it's like, just like that's the difference. It's not. He so, doesn't understand that. Which of course speaks to his life experience at that point. Yeah. He doesn't understand that what she's saying is that it's wrong for them to be together. Period. He's like. His focus is on the, oh, no, we're not doing anything seedy in a motel. He clearly thinks, well, the thing is, he clearly thinks that he's, like, Dustin Hoffman in a graduate situation. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Like, and, like, this isn't how it works, dude. You're not, like, she's not your, this isn't, you're not going to, this doesn't end well for you. No. No, she's not your Mrs. Robinson. Um but as far as that goes, I mean, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Mrs. Keener. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, the the whole thing with that, of course, being that she is telling him that it's not going to happen. And that's the point at which the mother comes out and confronts them and she gets arrested. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's, it is her own fault. Still, it's Keener's own fault. She just shouldn't have gone there, period. Um, yeah. And she opened herself up for that. And of of course that's that's why it has to happen that way, uh, but the some of the parallels that happen I love uh, Keener's experience with the snack machine, yeah. which is the same as the as Annie's experience with the snack machine previously, where yeah. they they put the money in and can't get anything out. Uh, the 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 fact the the meeting of of the two in the McDonald's. Yep, that is. My- not since Mac and me uh-huh. has a more poignant scene <laughs> than McDonald's ever taken place. And seriously, that 
uh, all joking aside, it's a beautiful scene. It really is a beautiful scene. Like over some chicken nuggets and her just and yeah. any Italian character here, like I'm not going to yell. At oh, I know, I know. I'm not going to yell. At and that was a heartbreaking moment right there too. Like her. Her thinking is not that she's in trouble for running away. Her thinking is that she's going to get in trouble for having like too much food and and again like the self fat shaming kind of thing, yeah. the body image issues. Yeah, like it, that's. The, I just couldn't decide what I wanted. I'm not planning to eat all of this. Yeah, and and her, are you going to drink that? Uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's it's it is this beautiful moment, and uh, <laughs> at that point, and it's at that point. Just this, like the touching, just the most touching speech, mm-hmm. where she's like, "Like, like, do you, what if your dad was a genius? Like, right? What, what, what part of that happens? Because I think she realized I legitimately care for my sister. Yeah, and I'm concerned that she's it's, gonna end up just like me. Right? It's it's the first moment that really that brings her out of herself. Yeah. And like, both of them have that moment, and it all revolves around her. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm like, I can't let her become well, as vapid and narcissistic right. as me. How beautiful was that scene where Annie is, is trying to get the pillows on the bed just right before they go pick up Brenda Blethen at the hospital? <laughs> I know. Like, so here we are again. Again, I mentioned that I did not like this film quite as much as walk, Walking and Talking. I, don't, I didn't either. But we, we've spent all this time talking about how wonderful this film is and how all of these small moments are in their own ways, you know, poignant, devastating, whatever, mm-hmm. what have you. We, we're now talking about it like we're in love with this film. I know. It's, it's amazing because, like, again, like, I, I ended this yesterday and I was kind of like, I, again, I feel like it. This, we're, these movies almost work as good, better as a TV show. Well, and that's what I said. I'm saying I, now they would be, but I, I think that the the fact that we can have, I mean, it's a it's it's a barely it's a hair over ninety ninety. It's a, it's 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 a crotch hair over ninety minutes. Uh, <laughs> It's it's a Merkin over ninety. <laughs> it's it's just barely over the ninety minute mark. We've we've spent almost as much time talking about this film as the film runs. <laughs> so, I, the fact that in the moment watching it, granted, I'm thinking it's a good film. I'm, I'm loving the film. I think it's. I'm, I'm very happy that we're going through this series here. That I'm I'm discovering these films for for what you know is again. I say embarrassingly that it has been too long in the making for me to watch these films and the kind of conversation that they inspire afterwards though just makes their stock go up in my opinion because we can have this kind of conversation about what is essentially a plotless film about three grown women who are completely self-absorbed and how it is it it's um it's negative impact on on somebody they're supposed to ostensibly be taken care of. <laughs> right. And I know again, like maybe it's just because of the time these films are made, mm-hmm. like 96 and 2001. Mm-hmm. These are movies that before we hit the golden age of TV. Sure. So 
um, and I think the thing I craved more from this movie more than anything was this was Annie's character. I wanted to know more about her point of view of being like Mm -hmm. a black girl in a upper class white woman home and the stresses and the sure. And and the thoughts that come with that. I don't disagree, but I do. This is the sort of film that makes me mourn the death of this sort of film. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think there's a huge value in something like this existing as that in film form. Right. But, and, and, and you're not wrong. I guess I just, if it were going to be made today, mm-hmm. uh, like if it were made now, like I'm pretty sure. It would be a six part series on HBO. Yeah. It would be a six part half an hour series on HBO. Yeah. It's almost ironic that HBO tonight is premiering like a limited series on Irma Vap. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, like just because Oliver Isis wants to expand on the themes of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, of the 96 movie. Like it's just, but I hear it's really good from what I've read, but like, yeah. but that's exactly what, what happens to these type of movies nowadays. Yeah. Like, well, and I, and I, I welcome that kind of show i will sit there and watch that kind of show i just wish that i could also go into a small art house theater and watch this kind of thing for 90 minutes to two hours on a screen and i and at some point i i, I don't want to go like into death of the art house thing mm-hmm. because but well but i mean but that's the kind of like this type of movie now it's gonna stream on thrive. netflix or it's gonna stream on hulu it's but it's it, it's not going to thrive because, again, I don't want to get too much into an argument about this because it's we we could go on about it for a long time. It's it the problem is that you know the Hollywood system is not spending the money on this kind of film. They're not willing to drop two million dollars or five million dollars on a small film like this anymore. For the most part, it's going to be something that ends up getting like I said, played on, on Hulu or played on, on Netflix or played as an HBO film. Um, it's, it's not, you know, which is, I go back to, this is why I, the last, I would say 75% of the films I've seen over the last year since theaters opened back up again are foreign films. Yeah. Well, just again, from my point of view, like as a parent who doesn't get to go out very often, and when he does go out, it's gotta be like a like a, it's gotta be something like it's just gotta be something more that has a visual punch. We we talked earlier about how this movie has no. What separates this from like maybe a Wes Anderson Darjeeling limited type movie? Mm-hmm. Visual style, sure. Um, what. At least what Hall of Center makes up for in visual style is like rich characters and people you can relate to right. other than whereas Wes Anderson is just trying to be twee as much as he can, but it looks great. It does, yeah. Um, and, but, I, I guess what I'm, 
my point is is that because the landscape has changed where you can show the scene or you can show the scene with Emily Mortimer and her Merkin mm-hmm. on HBO or on FX or on Hulu. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, and not get in trouble mm-hmm. with the FCC um, or anyone else for that matter. Um, it does. We're, I mean, it does sort of make streaming a nice place for these type of movies to thrive in. Mm-hmm. Now, 20 years ago, when I was a Ute mm-hmm. and a childless Ute with no responsibilities, um, I would have gone to an our house and I would have sought this out. Um, any type of movie I, like this. I, and, but nowadays I don't have that luxury. Well, see now I, as a, as a child, this very single 40 year old, that's all I want to spend my time doing. Yeah. So, and I, that's, I'm at the, at the point where I'm like, why can't I fucking find these films out there? Yeah, and, and trust me, like nothing would please me more than to head to the art house right now and watch Crimes of the Future. Right. Like that's that's my jam. Cronenberg mm-hmm. is my jam. But again, Cronenberg also is a little visually like like uh, more visually aesthetic. Or mm-hmm. or your Ari Asters or your like um everything everywhere all at once. Right. Like um there's some visual Things to where you want to see it, like on the biggest, uh, right? Yeah, no, no those are still experience. very visual filmmakers. And have a collective experience. This is not exactly the kind of film that we're that we just watched, though. Yeah, but this isn't necessarily a film that requires a collective audience experience either. To to me, this would be the perfect film. This is the sort of film that I would want to go see with the girlfriend I don't have so that we could sit and have this kind of conversation over coffee afterwards. See, and that's the, see, I, I, I this is the type of movie I want to watch on a Saturday night with my wife mm-hmm. and then talk about it the day talk after about on the podcast. <laughs> and then briefly talk about with her before we get the kids' lunches ready. Mm-hmm. And then talk about it with you for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and I can hear just kind of like, I can hear her her hand hit her forehead right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. I, let's, let's, let's call it. Uh, I, I think that we have talked more, honestly. I just wish, I guess the TLDR of this is, what does that talk uh, like this is the short version. Okay. Yeah. Of what I just said mm-hmm. is, I wish there was something more to these movies that would necessitate them being seen on a big screen. To me, they just seem like hour and a half long sitcoms. I think that's the point. See, and I'm coming at it oh. from where I would watch the fuck out of this on a big screen. Yeah. Where- I would love nothing more than that right now. You, well, I mean, you also have a crush on Catherine Keener. So oh, yeah. Better, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that aside, um, um, that is neither here nor... Well, it's a little bit there. But... Uh, <laughs> but... I mean, with but visually, I didn't find this movie very appealing, and I kind of wish there was something more. Okay, but that's that's an unfair knock at it. I, th- I think it has the wash of it being 2002 digital film. God, I, I've been 
not wanting to make this comparison like because of behind it, but we Allen made movies like this year after year after year. But he was also using film. Right. And it looked good. Yeah. Well, I mean, because the thing is that say what you will about the man, especially, you know, through throughout the nineties and even into the early aughts as his as his output has has very diminishing returns he has the he's built the cachet that he has a great cinematographer that everybody knows that he only pays scale to keep the budget down his the films cost next to nothing and he's i mean he's he's traded on this his success from the 70s and 80s ever since mm-hmm. um but yes the fact that he still manages to to get good actors to work for him that he has has had this you know a series of great DPs, um, you know, and this is this was this was Hall of Center's second film. <laughs> but considering who Hall of Center's stepdad is, and not right. that I'm but saying she doesn't credit, want to make her own way. I, yeah, I was going to say to her credit, she's not. It doesn't at least seem initially, f- from a financial standpoint, anyway, that she's trading on his his name. But she's like thanking him in the credits. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's there's some help there, but um, I guess I'm just saying like what is stopping her? Like eventually, I would like to see her. I, I think she does to a degree. I would like to see her get to the degree where she has that cachet, yeah, where she can get the best DPs, where she can do these things. Where I, I can, where it makes the experience, and and eventually we get to that point, yeah. But these early ones, I just kind of like going, when do we get to her being? And I'm just saying that, that this is the sort of thing where in 2002, I would have happily plunked down the money. To oh, go see and, this. I, and I would have too. But Well, so what are we talking about then? I, because we're talking about now, 2022. <laughs> right. But this film wouldn't look like that now in 2022. If she had even the same budget or similar budget adjusted for inflation, Be- it would look a lot better. Because in 2022... It would be made by FX, and it would be a four-part TV show. And that's this the point is, we're getting this is to. The, the, uh, this is the point of demarcation, right? Is that my argument is I would like to see this today on a big screen, in you know, in the again adjusted for technology, adjusted for whatever. This is what where I would want to watch it still. But it's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry to say this, but and and it brings me nothing but hurt and, and sadness to tell you this, Jared. Mm-hmm. But the art house is dead, dude. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to to quote um to to what is it to quote Walter quoting Theodore Herzl on the state of Israel? If you will it, dude, it is no dream. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm 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 sad. I lament its death, and I think they're like blips of mm-hmm. life. Like I think I think they got the pals, but everything everywhere all at once. A twenty four can only is only one studio, and I think they just need to. There need to be some other people with legit money in the game, because Annapurna is almost on the outs. Miramax is dead. Lionsgate focuses on mid-level blockbusters now. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Neon Studios. 
neon is, they're they're the reason a lot of these small foreign films are getting yeah neon is the reason movies. why we have parasite right neon is the reason why um because they're more of a distributor not a studio exactly yeah. like they yeah they're and they're also owned they're on you know they're owned by almo right i did not know that yeah actually. so they're owned by almo so like there's that's another reason like they're there. They're there to make money for their movie theater chain. Yeah. Like, uh, AMC, at, at one time owned a movie studio, mm-hmm. um, open road and oh, right. all their movies were, the problem is they never had good movies. <laughs> uh, so, okay. No, we, we gotta, we gotta start wrapping this up. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm done going on. Um, okay. Let's do, we'll do recommendations. You, you feel free to go first. Well, I think we've been arguing. We you know, have, actually, let's trade off because we each. I think we each have two. You have a book you want to recommend. Uh, no, I don't really want to recommend, recommend the, book. the book. Okay, well, I have, I, that was I my have backup. It was my backup because I, I have two then because I think there's one that's important to talk about. Um, that I, I part of what I was checking my phone for was that I was trying to figure out when I saw it versus um, when we last recorded because I couldn't remember if I recommended it for that or not. But I think I've seen it since then. And it's it's a it's a, a French film called Happening. It's is it directed by M Night Shyamalan and stars Mark Wahlberg? I just said it's a French film called Happening. Is it the French remake? It no. It, it well, is it no? It is not. <laughs> it is not. Are the and plants I, trying to kill us? I I I want to uh, to to cut all the joking about this film because it's a very serious and I think very timely and very important film. It's it's about a woman attending university in France in the '60s who um, gets pregnant at a time that abortions are straight up illegal that you can get imprisoned for life for if it's found out that you have one and um, she is essentially telling anybody who will listen that this, uh, this is a time in her life where having a child would essentially mean in that society at the time that she would not be permitted to finish her studies anymore, that she would have to give up her dreams and to be, you know, essentially a stay-at-home mother. If if not, you know, if she can't get the father to marry her, then an unwed mother, which is already another again problem at that time, um, and in in many societies continues to be a problem, uh, in, in, including this one, I should say, in, in many uh, you know cultures and 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 ethos. Uh, in Texas, well, I mean, Everywhere. fuck, dude. Yeah. Here in Arizona, oh, there's yeah. there's plenty of areas that or 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 or, or you know communities that would very much ostracize. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so the the whole idea again is uh, as I've mentioned, it, it it is this, and she has she is determined that she is not going to have this child that. Um, that she is going to finish her studies and that she's going to go to university, that she's going to become a, you know, initially she wants to be a, an English professor and then she decides she wants to be a writer. But it's about the, the journey of this woman to, to get the procedure that she, uh, that everybody is standing in the way of. And that predominantly, again, male 
people are telling her what she can and cannot do with her body. Um, this may sound very familiar, as this is currently an issue in play. I mean, and in, again, has always been an issue in play, uh, but is is very much of the public consciousness, again, because of the um, very likely Supreme Court decision blocking it. Right. And 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 just essentially, you know, re- repealing the one thing that's standing in the way of states um, making abortion illegal. Mm-hmm. It's like it would be, I think, a very necessary film, regardless. But with that currently happening, it makes it even more, um, like I said, even more timely. And I think people should see it if it's probably out of theaters at this point but i would imagine you can rent it somewhere Uh, it's it's called happening it's uh and um it's a it's a very difficult film to watch but it is uh i think an, an incredible film probably you know one of the one of the best of the year for sure so that is recommendation number one for me. I wanted to make sure to get that out there. My other recommendation uh, is actually going to play off of yours. So, um, Just so you know, it's not available for rental yet. Okay. Um, well, hopefully that will soon. be rectified soon. Yeah. Yeah. It does um, have a 99% on uh, the tomatoes of Ron. Mm. So. All right. On a on a on another note, um, but I don't think actually completely unrelated. Uh, what you go ahead and give your recommendation. Yeah. Well, you said you had another one. Oh, I do, but mine plays off of yours. Oh, so uh, we, I don't know if we've been technically arguing about it all morning, but we did kind of start the joke yesterday online that we are going to we were going to decide which one of us is going like to roast shambo for <laughs> yeah we're going to roast shambo for whoever gets to recommend angel olsen mm-hmm. and um i guess i won <laughs> i roast shambo you for it <laughs> um but yeah um big time uh is the name of the album just came out uh and boy is it big time oh my god great big time <sighs> Um, so pretty much it's called Angel Goes Country, uh, summing up Angel Goes Country. Even though, if you go back to her earliest yeah. albums, there's definitely a country, an Americana, at least, element to her earliest Yeah, but this definitely lays on the alt-country part a little bit more. It's a very, there's also a very much, uh, this is your recommendation, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, no, but, I mean, it's very emotional, and it's touching, and, um, like, the first track, it's... Like the music is beautiful and uplifting, but the lyrics are just about heartbreak. I, I think some of the music's heartbreaking too. Yeah, to a point. I mean, even Sharon, I, I, I can see you looking up Sharon Von Ed. <laughs> Don't give away my recommendation. No, no, but she, I'm not recommending, I'm not doing Sharon Von End so yeah. much as she, like, legit went on Twitter and just congratulate Angel Olsen yeah. on the, like, what is a miraculous achievement? My my fervent hope is that their musical partnership bears 
more fruit because <laughs> that single that they put out together last year. Oh yeah, like like I used to, or it's uh, is is one of the best songs I've heard from anybody in a long time. And you know, I gotta tell you, I've been thinking about what's kind of led me to this record. I mean, other than like it's Angel Olsen and um. Like, my woman just... When I listened to my woman, there was an unbelievable amount of hype surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And why I like that record a lot. Um, like, I'm not sure I like it as much as whatever... As much as Pitchfork likes it. No, Whereas I, I kind of went into big time with no expectations whatsoever and just was so greatly rewarded by it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's been going. That's what's been working for me lately, at least with music. Yeah. Because I, I didn't like, I knew that arcade fire, the new arcade fire album, people were saying it's like better than you know just as good as the the suburbs Mm -hmm. i mean it's not but it's better than everything now the bars (laughs) and a lot of pitchforks reviewers mind the bar is low right Um, but i actually really like everything now a lot um i misjudged it the first time when i first listened to it with the stuff way i'm discovering music now it's either through you or just kind of going where things go. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to like, we're talking about the Lumineers, a band who I never thought like was even coming up with like, had three albums after <laughs> they initially hit three more albums after they initially hit big. Right. And just kind of like going like, Oh, like kind of like dropping the act. Like I'm listening to this with like, through the ears of what I think people think are cool. Uh-huh. And leaving that behind and just thinking like, this is like, it's legit good. And that's kind of went with Angel Olsen. I'm like, I'm not going to reel on it. And I'm greatly rewarded that I'm able to make my own decision about it. Right. And I don't know how I'm going to approach music now. Well, this is why, I, in most instances, I don't review. I don't read reviews prior to getting an album. Yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check out like a Metacritic score or something like that. You know, just an overall kind of feedback kind of thing. But, um, especially now that I'm doing a lot more listening to All Songs Considered and hearing mm-hmm. like their new music uh, Tuesdays or whatever new new album Fridays. Fridays or you know all that kind of thing. I'm hearing a lot more different stuff than I used to, but um, I I am not... Mostly how I'll go ahead and make the decision of whether or not to pick up an album now is, is it I'll, I'll listen to it. If, if there's any hesitation, I'll listen to it online first. Yeah, I... And that's, I guess, maybe that's the way it should be, but, like, it's hard for, like... I keep talking about like time investment uh, and as well. And I know I, you don't have much time to invest. Yeah. No one, like no one, like I never thought I'd get to the point where like listening to enjoying great art mm-hmm. um, is such a, is such a luxury. Sure. 
but now I'm at that point and I'm like going, well, this is like legit great. And I just, I, I, I'm at the, so I guess the way I approached this album is like, I just put in the AirPods, saw that it had finally come out mm-hmm. and listened to it. And of course it's got all the things that make an Angel Olsen album. Great. Mm-hmm. Like her voice. Right. Just like, and the, and the introspection of lyrics and just the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about the instrumentation with this one, like the trumpets and yeah, like the fact that it feels like something that wouldn't feel out of place like uh, with a Lee Hazelwood, uh, um, Nancy Sinatra type. Sure. Thing. Yeah. There's, there's a very seventies sound to it. And I, the, there, there's a lot of both from Angel herself and from, uh, people who've been talking about it is that a lot of that's due to the influence of Jonathan Wilson, yeah. um, from a, from a, a production standpoint. But I also, I, I, you know, I reposted this, uh, New Yorker article and, I knew I was going to pick up the album because I, I, I do love Angel Olsen. Um, I, I think she's a phenomenal talent. But uh, there were some things in that New Yorker article where it's talking about the genesis of the album and the recording of it and how it's the the music surrounds, you know, the, or, or the songs come out of a, a, a period of time where uh, it's the breakup of her first queer relationship. Mm-hmm coming out to her parents, the death of her parents very shortly afterwards and very shortly one right after the other, mm-hmm. and then falling in love again in a relationship that she feels uh, inspired by. Yeah. Um, the, and the two of them you know, co-wrote that, the title track, Big Time. Mm-hmm. Um, reading about... Oh, and the fact that she brought these songs to the studio with her band having had no rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the members of her band talked about how they're used to, when they record with her, having had time to learn the songs and figure out their parts and everything. And this time there was none of that. There was just finding them together in the studio. Yeah. And I feel like all of that, that combination of that, just uh, comes right at you out of those performances. Mm-hmm. It's, it's seriously, like I've listened to it Three, at least three times now, mm-hmm. um, which is two more times than I have listened to the new Wilco record, and and, and what, which has been out for what three weeks now. Uh, interesting. So yeah, I, I, I uh, that's actually true for me as well. That I've listened to it uh, twice more than I've listened to the. <laughs> which is weird because sonically they're kind of they're not too far apart. Would you, and, would and you I not do, agree? Yeah, no, and I do love the new Wilco album, by the way. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I, I've, I listen to it. But I think part of that part of that comes down to this is a ten track album versus Wilco's twenty two track album. Truth. <laughs> so you want to talk about time investment, um, and also the fact that it's still only available digitally. Um, is, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. I- suppose that's true with the uh, uh there's <laughs> i didn't see it yesterday when i went yeah. to the record yeah no i, I there's there's the, the, if you go to the Wilco's website they're like we don't want to get into the whole supply chain issues but uh there are eventually plans for it to come out physically <laughs> <laughs> well and no offense to like jay jaguars like mark you know mm-hmm. the way they package this but that 
I don't know what is the deal with the fact that they can only fit two songs on one side and play on 33 other than... Well, it's, on, it's on 45, so... Oh, it's, on a 30, it's a 33 speed RPM. Out, the record, you have to play at 33. And I'm sure it's 180 gram. Is that what I had to switch it to? I had to switch it to 33, then 45. Okay. Anyway, I like... Anyhow, yeah. Like, you're, you're making... You're doing twice as much work for something that could easily be wide. I, I don't record. I don't love that whole phenomenon of something that could fit on a single LP. But I, I was pretty sure that it was forty five speed mastering, which is why when I had it on thirty three and a third, it was it sounded I was like, Wait, this isn't Angel Olsen's voice. I may be I'm I and I may be I may have them mixed up because quite frankly, sometimes I hear know how um work my four year old record player. <laughs> um but I just um, and also I mean yesterday that I am uh, I when I was at the record store yesterday I'm by no means an audiophile I am not going to replace my record player I'm not going to get preamps I'm not going to get tubes I'm not going to spend ten thousand dollars on a record you know see I might do that someday but it'll only be because I'm still you know childless well <laughs> I might do that someday too when my when um, my book advance comes in. Um, I, you know, but I keep the, waiting for that day. Here's the thing is that I am also not an audiophile. I just want the sound to be rich, which with my current setup, it is rich enough for me. Yep. And I'm just, I just want to play the albums. I don't necessarily, mm-hmm. as long as they play, I'm less concerned about, you know, colored vinyl versus black vinyl versus, you know, laser uh, etching, uh, 180 gram whatever to me i just if you know i the thing is that i can probably tell some of the differences because when a record sounds fantastic i can tell yeah uh but this record sounds fantastic for sure even on my shitty equipment yeah so i the i i've I've run into that a few places what what actually bothers me and this is i want to get off this topic pretty fast um is that the Albums that I know were initially released as a single LP uh, record, when they're reissued on two LPs, I was I was like <laughs> as livid as I get. I was fucking livid that the reissue of Tunnel of Love, which is a twelve-track album that has six songs per side on the original on the original pressing of it, got split across two when they re-released it. Yeah, that's that's. I would be I I'm I'm livid I don't even yeah I it's you know because I while I do love the ritual of getting up and flipping the side of a record I would much rather do it after half of the album is over than when I've just heard two songs you know what <laughs> this is uh completely uh maybe tangentially related but I'll tell you something that also burns my socks about buying things in vinyl mm-hmm. and this is also completely my own damn fault um, I purchased one of the purchases I made yesterday was the um, Columbia account with this like redo of John Barry scores. Oh, okay. Um, he of James Bond fame. He of James Bond, which is the complete motivation why I bought. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bought this particular one is because on streaming, it has a really fucking fantastic rockish version of the on her majesty's secret service theme okay lo and behold 
I buy I buy the record just I'm like I'm so excited like I'm I'm gonna buy it like mm-hmm. I don't care how much it costs I just want it. and it's a reissue but mm-hmm. I don't care it's just nice to have it I get bring it home and I'm like about to play on I'm like going, where the fuck is Iron Magic Secret Service <laughs> it's not on the reissue. it's not on there. it's not on that because <laughs> that this version came out in '66 and they probably redid it after oh so that was already a reissue of the original pressing and then. The reissue, the, the modern reissue is yeah. the original, uh, is a reissue of the original version. That's interesting. They do this a lot, and they do this a lot with at least some of the Barry uh, Bond soundtracks. I don't think it's on purpose or anything. I just, um, but um, they'll do expanded versions for probably CD and um, streaming. Right. Yeah, but when they reissued well, them on vinyl, which is they, which they've done, that's what happened with all of the uh, the the 20th Century Sparks albums. Yeah, or no, 21st Century Sparks, I think it is. Anyway, the, all the ones from the aughts that they just reissued that had all been out of print previously, the CD versions and the and the digital versions have the bonus tracks. The LPs all have just the original tracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I almost bought balls yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah. Anyway, but that's my recommendation is Angel Olsen. And I got to tell you again, like it's kind of this week. I, I, I just I'm thinking about a lot about how I discover music nowadays. We kind of talked about briefly at lunch. I'm not going to charge up that whole shit mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, with that. But just how much do I need to rely on the internet? on yeah. someone else's opinion. Like how, how much do I need to use that as a guide to discover the music I want to discover and fully enjoy it? And I don't know. Well, speaking as somebody who doesn't pay any attention to that at all, or doesn't allow that to sway whatever they're looking forward to. I don't think you, you need it period. But um, again, then, then what's the point of the critic then to talk about after the fact to help me put it into context? I, yes. I can do that on my own. Well, see, I, after I have spent some time with a record, I like getting a different perspective on it. So that's, that is why we'll go ahead and read a critical response to it yeah. after I've already listened to it. Yeah, I, I can see that. But I'm like, why has it come out before the album if it's not to... Moving on. Uh, my, uh, go talk about your chairman and asshole. I am going to talk about... <laughs> I'm not going... Well, there's a comma there. Um, <laughs> I do not have... <laughs> I do not have a shirt man at an asshole. <laughs> that was talk about your Sharon Van Etten, comma, asshole. Uh, so I, I the reason I wanted it because I think this is a great companion album to recommend to True. the Angel Olsen is the new Sharon Van Etten, which is called uh, We've Been We've Been Going About This All Wrong. This dropped with very little fanfare. Uh, she did not have any like singles out ahead of time. It just landed uh, within which, the last couple of weeks. I almost didn't know about it, which is funny because the only, I think the only reason I knew Angel Olsen was coming out this week mm-hmm. was because there's like a whole movie or something or yeah. a film behind big time. So, like I said, Angel Olsen. I'm sorry, not Angel. Sharon Van Etten. We've been going about this all wrong, and. Sonically, I think it's a very interesting companion to um, 
Now, now I haven't listened to this one as deeply as I have the the Angel Olsen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only listened to it once all the way through. I haven't spent a ton of time with the lyrics, but um, especially uh, you know discussing their their collaboration. Um, listening to each of their new works separately, I, I feel like there's some informing of each other's work as well. You, you can kind of hear some influence on it. I think this is an absolutely fantastic album. I don't know that it's going to get the same level of attention. Here's the thing. Her last album, uh, which I want to say is called Remind Me Tomorrow, um, had a very... It's her... What I would say it's, it's her first foray into Wall of Sound. But it was Wall of Sound anthems, a lot of them. And the, it garnered a lot of comparison to Springsteen mm-hmm. in that way. People were talking at a, about it being like a Born to Run or a Born in the USA, like a big anthemic kind of album. And I would like to say that this is, if we're going to follow that Springsteen through line, this is her Darkness on the Edge of Town or, um, or Tunnel of Love okay. in tone. It's like the it's she's still very much working with a wall of sound uh, palette, sonically speaking. So there's a lot of similar instrumentation, but it's very much there's there's not you don't have the um, the immediate and easily accessible uh, like pop aspect to it. There's not an anthemic aspect. This is a slow burn. This is a this is a wall of sound. This is more like a, um, a like it's it, to fall to 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 create a, a sort of another metaphor for it. It's it's a wave of sound. It's one that you can see off in the distance, building as it approaches the shore, and it's going to hit you like a motherfucker once it once it lands. So you say a wave, and I immediately think Pixie's wave of mutilation. Uh, but I don't think that's that that's not. At yeah, all. you say that word though, and that's immediately where I go. I'm, I'm just. I know. I know waves just... on the ocean. It doesn't have to be a wave of mutilation, <laughs> dude. Anyhow, that's that's my recommendation. I think it's a great companion album. If you pick up one, pick up both. That's my recommendation. Um, where were you yesterday when I bought the album? I was probably watching Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> or I was in the Trader Joe's. Yeah, you're you're probably in Trader Joe's when I was in uh Ingroove. Ingroove. Uh, and then you went to Ingroove after you went to Trader Joe's. I went to Stinkweeds. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Um we it again, this is we've been going about this all wrong. It's Sharon Van Etten. Available now at all good record stores. Oh. Okay, wrapping up this very long episode. We have Friends with Money coming up as the next Nicole Hall of Center, mm-hmm. uh, starring a cast uh, member of the cast of Friends, uh, yeah. who also somehow had enough money to afford their apartment. But um, <laughs> so it's it's, it's, it, it's funny. It's like we were watching the movie last night, mm-hmm. and Kristen couldn't place where she knew James Lagro from. Um, oh. I'm looking, thinking, well, obviously you've seen uh, Living in Oblivion or, or, or any other one mm. of these 90s independent movies. Like, no, no. And then I'm like looking through, I'm like, going, Friends? 
<laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, because so, I, I very doubt she is familiar with Point Break. <laughs> or, oh, right. Yeah. yeah, or any of the other work that James Lagro has made his uh, his name in. Made his name in for over thirty years. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, don't think she's watched Drugs or Cowboy or Friends with Money. Yeah, is yeah. the next film by written and directed by Nicole Hall of Center. It's available on Netflix, which I, I actually canceled my subscription for, so I have to watch it before the subscription expires in June. <laughs> how's your life? Oh, how's your life knowing that you know Netflix is coming to an end for you? Uh, you know what? The first thing I realized after I after um, I canceled my subscription was that the last season of Peaky Blinders is dropping in June and I'm like fuck I hope that it drops before my subscription expires <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna have to re-up for a month and then cancel it again <laughs> that's how I get you man uh, or find I mean it's a it's initial it's a it's 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 a BBC production originally I think or some British yeah. production so there's I'm sure I could find someplace else to watch it um, but I, I think that you can come time, over anytime. So. <laughs> We're not. We we I I have brought up at least three or four times not canceling Netflix and it. It's gets I just rejected. It was it was after I I don't know. It was just one too many price hikes, and I, I am constantly not finding that I'm using it enough to justify paying it. Currently, I'm using HBO Max enough to justify paying for it. I can yeah. Netflix, I am not. So anyway. Uh, you can you can find it on Netflix. It's streaming on Netflix, or you can rent it from any number of other streaming providers. It's on your Amazon. It's on your Apple. It's on whatever. So yeah, it's much easier to find than uh, Lovely and Amazing, which I was scared I wasn't going to be able to watch it until you remind me. Oh, it's on Canopy, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Check your canopies and your uh, what's what's the other one? Hoopla. Um, your hooplas, your hooplas, your hooplas, and your canopies. Your your local library, your supported. YouTube TVs, yes, oh. things like that. Anyway, thanks for listening to our our long ramble and uh, several like soapbox get off my lawn tangents. Um, and we'll check you next episode for friends with money. Later, platter peeps, keep it mental. Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fine arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle. <laughs>